On behalf of Chess, I'd like to welcome you to the April 2017 podcast. I'm Kyle Hogarth from the University of Chicago, editor of the podcast section. Thank you for joining us for today for another terrific conversation. My first guest is Dr. Ahmed El-Sharif from the section of thoracic imaging in the Department of Diagnostic Radiology for the Veterans Affairs of Greater Los Angeles Healthcare System. He's also the associate professor at the David Geffen School of Medicine at the University of California, Los Angeles. He's going to talk about his article, Cross-Disciplinary Analysis of Lymph Node Classification and Lung Cancer on Commuted Tomography. Ahmed, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. My next guest is Dr. Galit Avram, from head of, and she's the head of cardiothoracic imaging in the Department of Radiology from Tel Aviv Sorasky Medical Center at Tel Aviv University in Israel. She's here to discuss the accompanying editorial, Misclassification of Lymph Nodes in Lung Cancer Staging. Can we improve? Galit, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. All right. So, I mean, set the stage for us. You know, just, you know, what made you want to do this study? Sure. You know, there were a, a few uh, pain points in my practice, uh, kind of which led me to create this study. You know, as a radiologist who's um, subspecialized in uh, thoracic and cardiac imaging, you know, I deal with lung cancer um, on a daily basis. And uh, one pain point that came to my attention during my practice was that, uh, you know, certain non-standard text-based descriptors were being used to label certain regional lymph nodes um, suspected of containing metastasis on uh, either CT or PET-CT. Uh, for example, I was seeing the term pretracheal lymph node being used to describe a lymph node anterior to the trachea and the term precorino being used to describe a lymph node anterior to the tracheal bifurcation. There was never a side designation, meaning it was the lymph node, a right-sided mediastinal lymph node, a left-sided mediastinal lymph node, which obviously has implications in terms of N2 versus N3 disease. You know, and there were times in my practice where I would see a particular lymph node, you know, being mislabeled. In particular, it was the um, left lower paratracheal versus AP window designation. You know, lymph nodes around the uh, ligamentum arteriosum. You know, I would sometimes see a, what I would think a lymph node medial to the ligamentum arteriosum, which is a left lower paratracheal lymph node being labeled an AP window lymph node, and vice versa. And then the third pain point uh, that, came point, uh, that came across my practice is, you know, in 2009, the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer came out with a lymph node map to supersede all the previous pre-existing lymph node maps, which... Uh, two in particular. One was the Naruki lymph node map, which was, I think, being used in Japan and other parts of Asia, and the uh, Mountain Dressler modification of the American Thoracic Society lymph node map, which was commonly being used in U.S. and Europe. And um, when you tried to apply its definitions rigorously um, during CT interpretation, there were a few ambiguous areas that came about, and I was kind of curious to see how uh, my colleagues in the radiology department, pulmonology department, surgery department, how they were addressing those air, lymph nodes in particular uh, ambiguous areas. Um, so that's kind of what led to the study. Um, and I mean, so it, it question, came from day-to-day -day struggles then, essentially. Yeah, basically day-to-day -day struggles, you know, as, a, as an academic radiologist, uh, you know, I'm responsible for, you know, interpreting these studies and teaching the future, you know, you know, residents who are next to me, and you kind of want to have answers for these questions that came about, you know, during the reading sessions, um, you know, when applying certain definitions, definition sets that are given to you. So, yeah, they kind of rose from pain points during practice. Kali, what do you think? I mean, did you have some of the same experiences that, that uh, you know, in, in your day-to-day -day practice and in, in your responsibilities as, a, uh, as an academic physician who's training others? 
Uh, I was really surprised that uh, the amount of uh, misclassification that uh, this uh, work uh, remarkably found. And uh, uh, Dr. El-Sharif will uh, tell us uh, how much he found, but uh, uh, though there are some uh, ambiguities, it's enormous to, to understand how much it can uh, actually influence patient care. So with that, since, since uh, you know, there was a perfect segue to, to what you found, Ahmed, <laughs> yeah. so, so Ahmed, you know, let's, let's jump right in. Give us the highlights, because sure. as I tell you, yep. you know, yeah. and, and maybe both of you can talk about this, because ultimately, I finished reading your paper, and, and actually I was a little depressed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully, uh, the purpose of the paper was to highlight you know, <laughs> some of these issues. I think at the end, well, I'll talk about it a little bit. I think at the end of the day, the, the correct answer usually uh, is uh, uh, driven between working between the radiologist, pulmonologist, oncologist, and um, pulmonologist. But um, uh, it's just, uh, you know, it was just a study to highlight, you know, how many people are, you know, the, the, the real question was, like, how many people are familiar with this lymph node map? So this, it came out in 2009. I think I did the survey in 2013, uh, 2013. so it was four years since the um, release of the manuscript. And the question was, you know, how many people were familiar with the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer, Lymphomap? You know, here I practice in North America. I know residents and, and colleagues of mine were very familiar with the mountain dressler modification of the American Thoracic Society Lymphomap. So the question was, how many people were aware of this new lymphomap? Um, and then question number two that came about was, you know, what proportion of lung cancer specialists are labeling lymph nodes correctly? with respect to this new lymph node map, um, regardless of what lymph node map they're using. And then number three, um, as I said before, there were some you know, ambiguities in, in terms of certain lymph node stations in terms of how to classify them, in particular lymph nodes anterior to the tracheal bifurcation, lymph nodes between the interlobar bronchus and the esophagus. And I was curious to see how physicians were labeling those lymph nodes. And, I think the first striking result that came out um, from the study was that, in general, 50% of those of who I surveyed um, responded that they were using the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer and Lymph Node Map. Uh, the survey consisted, I think, of around 300 and I think it was 337 respondents. I think there was a possible candidate, you know, a survey response pool of 1,200, so it was about 25% response rate, and Overall, in general, it was 50% of those physicians who said that they uh, were using the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer, Lymph Node Map, in their practice. And it actually divided equally amongst um, disciplines. So it was 50% of radiologists, 50% of pulmonologists, and 50% of thoracic uh, surgeons. So at the, at the very beginning now, you're dealing with 50% of your pool who are using the lymph node map, and it was, then it would be curious to see now how are they labeling these lymph nodes um, uh, uh, with respect to what lymph node map they're using. <clears throat> so, so yeah. So dive into that. I mean, but let's first let's break. Uh, just clarify. You know, this was self-reported thoracic radiologists. So at least self-declared. You know, not just a, a general radiologist, but one who you know spends time working in thoracic. These no, are yeah, thoracic yeah. surgeons and pulmonologists who do EBIS. So this, if, if yeah. anything, we, we've got a group of people who are sort of in the know. You, know, you would you would correct? Think, right? Yeah. The, the survey was targeted to those specialists. So. Those were members of um, 
know, the Fleischmann Society, Society of Thoracic Rheology, General Thoracic Surgical Club, and I believe the American Association of Bronchology and Interventional Pulmonology. Yeah, so the, the study wanted to focus on those physicians who would most likely be familiar with the new lymph node map and familiar um, and who may have come across the same pain points that I've come across. And it was my curiosity to see, like, how are they dealing with some of the things that came across my practice? Um, and I think that one of the one thing we need to take, uh, think about also, too, is what was the differences um, um, with the new lymph node map that differed amongst the previous lymph node maps, which may change certain, um, you know, uh, which may have someone label one lymph node one way, one lymph node the other way. And really the, the major change that came about um, that was obvious um, between the, inter- the International Association of Study of Cancer Lymph Node Map compared to the other lymph node maps was that um, designation of right versus left paratracheal lymphadenopathy in the mediastinum, where in the new lymph node map, the left lateral wall was now used to designate a separation between right versus left um, mediastinal lymph nodes, whereas before, um, most people were using the midline of the trachea. Um, so, you know, that was, I was kind of curious to see, you know, how many people were familiar with that. And if you think about it, by doing so, by putting the the margin as the left lateral wall, then theoretically majority of your mediastinal lymph nodes will be right-sided lymph nodes. Um, right. When you look at a CT, <laughs> there's not much space. There's not much space in that uh, area to have a left paratracheal lymph node. So theoretically, if you were to have a left-sided lung cancer you're, you're, and you were to have a mediastinal lymph node, you're theoretically more likely to have an N3 lymph node because that lymph node would be on the right side of that left lateral wall. Um, so those patients will most likely be at a higher stage compared to those l- patients with lung cancers on the right side. And that was really the major, um, uh, high, uh, major um, thing that they put in their paper that distinguished it amongst the other ones. Um, and in particular, they were, they, what they said is they used more um, specific definition sets um, in terms of more descriptors to describe the boundaries between right and left, but they still used 14 lymph node stations, and, um, and it was pretty much very similar except for that. So, you know, when I designed the study, um, the few questions that came about was, okay, so how are, how are physicians labeling lymph nodes um, um, in the paratracheal region, you know, versus right versus left? So I designed a study, I designed three questions to answer the same the same topic. And the first one was, you know, I put a lymph node anterior to the trachea, um, and then theoretically a lymph node anterior to the trachea is considered a right-sided uh, lymph node because it's left to, the, to the left of the left lateral wall of trachea. And I asked them, how do you label this lymph node? And then I asked them, well, if there was a lung cancer, let's say, on the left side, is that an N1, N2, or N3? And then the third way I asked it was, you know, if I, I put dotted, mar, dotted lines on the right side, mid, midline, and left, and I said, which one would you use to dis- separate left versus right? So um, that was the uh, first topic that was uh, um, in the paper. Um, another topic that I explored was left floor paratracheal versus AP window lymph node. How do you distinguish between that? There's no ambiguity in the lymph, in the, uh, in the lymph node map in terms of how to distinguish between the two. Um, the ligamentum arteri- lymph nodes medial to the ligamentum arteriosum or left lower paratracheal, 
those lateral or AP window. So I was curious to see how physicians are labeling those. And that's for the um, listeners, if you're looking along with the paper, you know, he's referencing both figure one and then figure two in the paper just as far as what the people responding were seeing. Yeah, so I mean, just like I probably should have said in the beginning, basically the design was there were certain lymph nodes that had a, a, a clear answer, right? You know, you know, it was either A or B based on what the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer, Lymph Node Map, said. And there were some lymph nodes that I that were ambig- ambiguous um, in the lymph node map, and, and those were uh, uh, proposed to the, resp- to the survey response to see how are they labeling them. So the first one, right versus left, lymph node map basically said there's a clear answer. Anything le- you know, to the right of the left lateral wall of the trachea is the right side, and anything to the left is the left. And I, and I asked it three different ways to see, you know, to, to, to see if physicians really understood that concept. Um, and then the second one, as I said, was left lower paratracheal versus AP window. Again, a very clear-cut answer in terms of, as I discussed before, the ligamentum arteriosome. The third question was asked was um, a gray zone area, basically lymph nodes anterior to the uh, tracheal bifurcation and lymph nodes between the bronchus intermedius and esophagus. Now, from my, you know, from, you know, rigorously applying this, lymph, this new lymph node map, um, I felt that this area was very um, not well-defined in terms of is this, are these lymph nodes mediastinal, basically lower paratracheal, which would be uh, an N2 lymph node, or are these lymph nodes hyaline lymph nodes, you know, station 10? Is this an N1 lymph node? And that has a huge implication in terms of management, N1 versus N2 lymphadenopathy in a patient. Yeah, I completely agree. This is a pivot question. This is a very, so, very important so issue. When, when you read the definition sets in the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer, um, they basically say the lower margin of the paratracheal lymph node, particularly on the right side, is the lower margin of the azagous vein. Again, it wasn't, you know, I don't, I'm not here to pinpoint on semantics and stuff, but as we all know, the azagous vein is um, a structure that goes throughout the whole mediastinum, but I think what they specifically meant was the SVC slash azagous vein junction. And if that is the case, which is commonly accepted as what they, were, what they meant, um, any lymph node inferior to that would be considered a hyaline lymph node. Now, when if, as a radiologist, when I'm scrolling through the CT, there are a few patients who have what I believe or what we all see is a, a mediastinal space, which contains a mediastinal fat, which is inferior to this SVC azagous vein junction that um, a lot of these lymph nodes spread to, especially if it's a cancer on the right side. And from looking at it, it's a mediastinal lymph node, um, but yeah. based on the definition sets, um, saying that, well, it's inferior to the SVC azagous vein junction um, can be mislabeled as a hyaline lymph node. And that was, you know, something that I was kind of curious to see how are, how would physicians from other institutions, how are they labeling these lymph nodes? So if you look at the image, um, we have a lymph node that is about the, you know, tracheal bifurcation. Yeah, so figure three. Definitely, definitely in a space where there's mediastinal fat. Um, but it is inferior to the SVC azagous vein junction. So um, do you label that as station 10? Do you label that as station 4R, 4L? Do you label that as station 7, subcarinal? Um, and that, I was kind of curious to see how our colleagues were labeling that. 
And then something very similar in terms of N1 versus N2 designation were lymph nodes between the right inter- inferior interlobar bronchus and the esophagus. And I know in my practice, sometimes it's hard to tell, is this a lymph node that's contained within the mediastinum, or is this a lymph node outside of the mediastinum and in the lung, um, basically making it an N1 lymph node. Um, so I you know, found a picture and put a lymph node in there and was curious to see you know, who's labeling what, and in particular, was it one group labeling one lymph node one way and another, you know, where surgeons tend, you know, tend to label it one way and radiologists another way, and so that was one, one question. Right, so let's, let's, let's start to dive into some of the results. If you don't mind, can we divide it into sure. sort of two different thoughts? So yeah. as you said, like the first two questions were very focused on, you know, there's a clear definition, there's clear examples. I'm going to quiz people on, you know, can you label this correctly yeah. or not? And, yeah. and, and, and then there's the whole, as you said, there's some areas where maybe the definitions need to be a little bit better defined. And, and part of your, your study, we could argue, is to sort of explore that, to say, well, how is it being applied? But the first few questions are very black and white. You, you know, you're either this yeah. station or not this station. And there are clear clinical ramifications of the mislabeling. Yeah, so the first two questions, right versus left paratracheal lymph node distinction and left lower paratracheal AP window, as we said, clear-cut answers. And um, and uh, so... Figure one again. Figure one, and I don't have the... Let me get the thing. I would, you would figure that um, those who um, were using the lymph node map would, you know, should be able to answer 100%, since that was the focus of the paper. So I think what we found was, just in general, as I said before, you know, 50% of all thoracic subspecialists who participated in the survey answered that they did use the lymph node map. And so the way I did, I broke down some of the results were um, on, on just in total, how did they answer the, the question? And then those who, who basically said we did use the lymph node map, how did they um, answer the question? Um, so... With regards to, let's say, the first part of the question, which is right versus left uh, paratracheal lymph node distinction, um, you know, you know, I think though in general there was about, I think I got around 28.5% who answered all three questions correctly, um, and uh, in contrast to um, surgeons who were 11.8, um, and then. And those with regards to the International Association for the, who were using the lymph node map, it showed an improvement in re, uh, response rate. Um, right. Well, if I mean, you were, so the total, I mean, those who, those who were not using the map at all, yeah. Uh, yeah. majority of the questions were missed, if, if I'm looking yeah. at your data correctly. Yeah. Well, the, I, I, uh, this, is a, this is a separate topic, and, and it deals with one of the study limitations. If I was to really, really explore... Um, um, the three questions. The first question is obviously a lymph node anterior to the trachea. What would you label it? Number two was it N1, N2, N3? And question number three was um, what dotted line do you use to separate right versus midline versus left? I, I think where we might have an issue, you know, one limitation of the study is when I, I did give the answer choices, um, I gave every possible text based descriptor that I've seen in my practice. For example, um, I use the word anterior paratracheal, pretracheal, right lower paratracheal, left lower paratracheal. So I do 
Um, so with regards to the first part of the question, not the second or third, there could be some, you know, physicians weren't comfortable using the standard descriptors and they were using non-standard descriptors, for example. They would use the word anterior pretracheal to, to um, label that. So that can that probably contributed to not having 100% um, for A. For A, but B and C should have been, you know, theoretically, uh, there was no ambiguity in terms of that. It was, it was a black or white answer. Um, so um, what, what I think where I was going with this question was, you know, physicians and my, and my clinical experience um, were, in particular, when we're, this is what we'll say, um, having to, to describe a lymph node on a CT, we're u- basically using anatomic descriptors. Um, so what I found here, going just skipping ahead, using non-standard terminology um, with regards to this question, um, I think 55% of, sorry, um, 60% of physicians who basically responded to this question um, in terms of a lymph node anterior to the middle trachea used non-standard terminology. So that obviously contributed to the, to the first question being mislabeled incorrectly. And I find that kind of interesting is that, you know, when we're dealing with, you know, subspecialists in regards to certain lymph nodes that, you know, you know we need to commit to stations 1 through 14 um, uh, in terms of labeling lymph nodes and not just rely on anatomic descriptors because, again, as I said before, if you label lymph node anterior, pretracheal, or pretracheal, you're not giving a side designation. Um, uh, and, and that was one thing that I, you know, I wanted to highlight is that we need to move away from using non-standard descriptors and, and as as we continue with the talk, we'll figure out ways on how to do that. Right. So, Gilly, can you can you expand on this? Even within your within your program, um, you know, have have you all uh, there at Saraski used taken steps to sort of try to unify our language so that we we get rid of some of these more anatomic, you know, it's anterior to the trachea, et cetera, and try to use either direct language from lymph node classifications or just stations and saying, you know, as a clinician, I'm struck at times by, I get radiology reports from multiple different medical centers and even different radiologists within my medical center, and there's not a uniformity of the language. I completely agree. The problem is uh, all over. However, uh, in large centers, we have the multidisciplinary team meeting and uh, we can discuss it and uh, then, uh, you know, find the, the correct, uh, uh, maybe not the scriptor, but uh, the meaning, which means if it's uh, N2 versus N1 or uh, uh, N2 versus uh, N3, which is uh, what uh, really counts for the patient. Um, uh, if uh, someone just relies on the descriptors, uh, there will be a huge uh, uh, failure. So uh, this is a limitation of this study, but uh, in practice, uh, we, we did see also in uh, in the replies that the, the uh, wrong, wrong answers were taken also when it was uh, just a question of uh, which stay would you give this, the patient. So uh, I was, uh, you know, uh, 
a little depressed to see that uh, we really uh, fail when we need uh, to make the decisions, not that just to describe uh, accurately and correctly the, the location of the lymph node. And I think it's uh, not only uh, uh, the... Um, the map that uh, has uh, some uh, in, not intuitive uh, uh, descriptions, like uh, having uh, in front of the midline a uh, lymph node which uh, is supposed to be uh, uh, related uh, to the right side, but uh, also that uh, some uh, descriptions uh, are really lack lacking or uh, are so much ambiguous. And uh, maybe those that uh, create this uh, uh, lymph node map should uh, try to somehow improve it and uh, make it uh, more useful and uh, more reliable for, you know, large uh, amount of people are using it. And yeah. Yeah, this, uh, I really thank uh, Dr. El Sharif for bringing all this uh, issue because it's very important to improve it. Well, and I'm and I'm thinking about this from the from the person on the side of doing the biopsies. You know, there's been a lot of attention paid to EBIS users and technique and tools and different needles and you know, et cetera, et cetera. But but even with better optics and better instrumentation, if we're not biopsying the correct area, or we are biopsying it but we're labeling it wrong, you know that you know there's we can put a CT scan up at a tumor board and have a discussion about what lymph nodes are enlarged and sort of all read it and, and, and maybe correct any errors that might have been used in the language. But if I turn in lymph node samples and I label it for L and it's for R, vice versa, and we are then making you know clinical decisions on what stage you are and how we're going to manage you and I've mislabeled these, then I'm not only, you know, not doing a service to my patients, but we are potentially robbing them of a intervention and or giving them the incorrect intervention all off of a lack of understanding of lymph node mapping. So it, it, I'm struck by, you know, at least on the bronchoscopy side and, and also with the mediastinoscopy side, that that the limitations of, of knowledge on where these lymph nodes are, because as you highlighted, it wasn't just radiology. There was equal lack of knowledge across all the specialties. Um, yeah. that, that a lot more attention needs to be paid on on having penetration of this, you know, this language, I guess, if you will. Yeah. If, you know, we ought to all be speaking that same language if we're going to start talking lung cancer. Yeah, I think in the at the end of the day, from my you know from work you know from my clinical experience, I mean. The lymph node eventually gets labeled correctly, or the correct term is used. Um, you know, for the uh, at least I could say for the majority of time. I'm not sure of how, what percentage of patients may be misclassified. In particular, for example, that lymph node that's and you know inferior to the SVC azygous vein junction, where for example, you know, um, uh, on bronchoscopy, you know, if someone is taught that's the case, and they sample that lymph node, they'll call it right hilar. But when you look at the CT, it's, it looks definitely mediastinal. You know that that's something I'm not sure how often that does that does that get misclassified. But I think right. at the end of the day, things are labeled correctly because these cases, you know, more than one person gets involved, and um, and uh, the answer gets you know the issue gets resolved. But I, I I think the issue that comes about. The question that I think that that arose from this paper that I, at least I took home was when when guidelines are published, um, um, 
how are they disseminated amongst the public um, for that public to for it to reach the public, and then when it reaches the public, how is it perceived and interpreted, um, um, and in terms of is it how well written is it? For example, going back to the first issue in terms of how is information disseminated, usually it's through uh, you know a big journal that uh, you know someone submits an article to. But um, how often are the majority of practicing physicians have access to that journal? And how long does it take do they, do they, to, for them to get access that, to that information? From my experiences as a chest radiologist, I usually become aware of these landmark papers, usually at a, a yearly conference. You know, I, I attend my yearly conference once a year, and usually one of my colleagues brings it to my attention saying, hey, there's something that came out with regards to thymic malignancy in terms of lung cancer, in terms of this. Hey, you should be aware of it. These are some of the pitfalls, and that's how I come aware of it. But if I didn't attend that meeting, there is a potential, or one of my colleagues didn't attend that meeting, there's a potential that I'm not familiar with these guidelines. Um, and that's something that, you know, we live in a, in, a, in a world today where, you know, information the way we share information is a lot different than how we did 10 years ago. Um, we are now in a generation that information is shared via Twitter, via you know Facebook, via um, you know apps, you know I, you know telephone apps, iPad apps, um, and and that's something that we need to explore in terms of what is the best medium to convey this information to the public so that it could be used correctly. And then question number two is, you know, when we're conveying this information, does it, are all the T's crossed and all the I's dotted? For example, when you look at this lymph node, when you look at this particular topic, we're dealing with a lymph node map. Um, and with regards to a lymph node map, uh, we all can agree that this is most, more likely a visual uh, this is a, a, a visual set of guidelines um, in terms of, because we're talking about lymph node map on CT, but if you look at the paper that was published, uh, a majority of the paper was text-based descriptors. Again, I shouldn't argue that it was actually, no, it was not meant to be a CT um, map. It was just meant to be a map in general. And the majority of the paper was text-based descriptors, obviously because they're limited in terms of how many, how many pages in a manuscript they're able to publish, and they're limited about how many images they're allowed to publish. So I, I can't remember how many images were there in the paper. There were few, very few images, but it was a majority was text-based, and a majority of the paper was text with regards to validating why they did certain things. Um, uh, you know, what I would like is that if there were guidelines to come out, um, um, with, with a, like a future lymph node map, um, if it was to be in the form of a manuscript, you know, the, for at least as a radiologist, what I would like to see is that the majority of manuscript just be images, right? You know, yeah. with supple supplemented with text, because yeah. then there's no ambiguity. Because as a radiologist, I'm a, I am of a I'm an image based discipline. I'm not a text based discipline. I you know, I, all I do is I look at images and I and I interpret them. And so I would want definition sets that way. And I would assume as an interventional bronchoscopist, I would want, you know, sonographic images, you know. And as a media stenoscopist, you know, I would want, you know, maybe 
um, a, a video of a mediastinoscopy where certain landmarks are saying, okay, here's a landmark, this is where it's this and this is that, and hey, maybe you should but also pay attention to this and this. So um, I think that's kind of where my, what I wanted, that's where I, the message for me, and that, and that was the message I'm trying to convey from this paper, um, was those two main topics. It wasn't really so much so, oh my God, look, there's, people are mislabeling things, um, because it was a, it's a, it was only 300 people. Um, yes, it was subspecialist, but um, as I said before, there were some the limitations. Where I, you know, I didn't. Uh, one other, just as a side topic, again, I, I know I'm going on various side topics, but um, what's another interesting side topic to note is at least in the radiology community, when it comes to labeling lymph nodes, most of us are very familiar with text-based descriptors. But when it comes to numerical designations, one through 14, we are not. Um, um, however, when I would go to tumor board, all my surgeons and all my bronchoscopists and oncologists are using numerical descriptors. One, two, two, you know, one, two R, two L. Um, so we are already, um, um, starting with, you know, not, we're not using the same language. Um, but this paper was really focused on CT. Well, let's, let's talk about that, though, amongst with the two of you in, in regards to trying to standardize the language, either numerical or, yeah, if not numerical, then, then at least the same text, you know, to describe something as, you know, the right lower paratracheal, um, you know, as opposed to anterior, you know, mediastinal or anterior carinal, excuse me, or anterior to the trachea, or the, like you said at the very beginning, the, the, one of the pain points, the, the mishmash of languages that are used to just to describe it as if you're just asking someone, well, tell me, what do you see and tell me where it's located? And someone's just saying, well, it's in front of a blood vessel. It's to the side of the trachea. It's, <laughs> you know, it's... No, 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 that, happen, that happens a lot, especially if you're not familiar. So is there a standardization process going on in the field of radiology right now? I think in my mind of something like on the nodule side of life with lung rads is an attempt to say, okay, we're all going to try to put our reports into a same level of language for both... You know, so that everyone's speaking the same language, but also so that we can track and follow changes more efficiently because we all agree on what we're describing here. You know, and, and yeah. it's not about limitations to, to lung rads or anything like that. Is there a, a same movement to try to get oh, yeah. the field I mean, of radiology? Because there are a lot of centers where, you know, what you guys put into that report, is, especially when it comes to like a, a, a CT PET, that is being very much dictated as to what's going to happen for this patient. Yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely a huge movement towards standardization of reporting, um, and at least in the radiology community. I mean, that's since I was, you know, I can, uh, let's say, I, you know, I've been in practice now for a few, at least as an attending for at least six years, and I know it, it, that movement at least started during my residency um, in terms of standardizing reporting, but in particular, for example, having, instead of moving from a free text um, report to a a a a um, I'm, I'm blanking on the word right now. But instead of free text, but in terms of having a um, what's the buzzword? But you know what I'm trying to say a standardized right. um, organ no system language. based reporting. You know, just a standard reporting system that all radiologists in the group would be using, um, so that you know it would be very easy to read. Um, you know, terminologies are being used, and, and there's. For example, in the radiology community, there's a lot of what we call macros. So when we're using these um, voice recognition systems, there's a lot of departments that are forming macros, which you type in a word, let's say, lung nodule, 
um, the, the, the sentence would come out and it would specifically tell you, you would have to mention, you know, the size. Now, are you going to measure the average diameter? Are you going to describe the long axis, short axis, location, et cetera? So, yes, there's definitely a movement towards standardization, and that's been there for a while. But I, th- I think, as we know with everything, is that, you know, when certain rules get, you know, disseminated to the public, you know, how does it, how does it reach them? And then right. when it reaches them, how many people decide to say, yes, I'm, you know, I'm going to use it, or I feel, or are they going to use what they're more, most comfortable with what, that they've been using for the years past? Um, I, and I think that's a bigger question, um, and it's not, it's it's something for, you know, you know, something o- ongoing to analysis. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, you could you can use the same thing for lung nodule follow up. Right. Um, uh, in terms of you know, Leishner Society guidelines of terms, and then you have lung rads, and then, as you know, before the lung rads came out to be a little bit more conservative in right. terms of following lung nodules. So then. And there was a cross-mix. There was members of the Fleischer Society who are both members of the Fleischner and Lungrad's committee, American College of Radiology Lungrad Committee. So they recently came out, you know, in the last month or so with the new guidelines, which kind of are very similar, you know, they're, you know, somewhat now more um, congruent um, now in terms of how they're following non-nodules. So... um, But regardless of that, I meant it more from a perspective of just trying to have a uniformity of language... Yeah, I, th- I think the question may be in the future um, when, with regards to a lung cancer case or in general, should we still use text-based descriptors if our co- if the co- majority of the colleagues are using numerical descriptors? Should the, you know should radiology practices force their radiologists to to commit to a certain number, um, um, which means that they would have to become familiar with it, or should we still continue? use text-based descriptors where the majority of the rest of the report is, but that's, that's a question to be asked. I mean, because if you well, did we, use a numerical descriptor, you, you're basically committed to an answer and then either right or wrong, but at least you've, you came out with an answer and at least someone can tell you if you're right or wrong. Yeah, Galee, what do you think? I think uh, um, the, the problem is uh, of education, but uh, not only that, the... Um, the translation of the the text into the the visual city is very very difficult. I can say for myself that uh, uh, this distinguishing between the pre what we call precarinal or uh, uh, hilar or mediastinal in that area, which is uh, uh, often is involved in lung cancer, is uh, really uh, difficult, and I hesitate on it. And I, I'm not sure that the problems are only uh, in how we define them, but when you look at the map or you look at the city and you try to correlate it to the uh, theoretical map, it's not easy. It's very complicated. The, uh, the instructions and the texture, the text is not easy to translate into the, the images. And uh, maybe only in the future when we'll have uh, advancements in, the, in machine learning and artificial intelligence, we can uh, have some uh, more optimal, uh, automatic and standardized, accurate uh, reporting uh, to use uh, in order to really do the best. But uh, somehow now it's uh, very complicated, the translation between the text and the visual issue. Uh, do you agree? 
I agree 100%. No, and I think your data would show that everybody agrees. I mean, I think what I was, you know, for me, the thing that was most struck by your data was that, you know, you have three different, completely different specialties, all focusing on the same idea, though, of, of lymph node you know, classification. And so, you know, the, that old argument of, of well, you know, if somebody has to be right if we're if all three of us are, you know, looking at the same problem. And I guess what I was struck by is that nobody's got the the best solution here, if you will. And and if nothing else, it is, uh, and uh, you know, yet another plug for a multidisciplinary approach to to all forms of, of lung cancer in, in particular, but I guess all thoracic malignancy, that, you know, if, if as a patient you are not being reviewed by a multimodality uh, specialty, you know, meeting uh, for your lung cancer, then we're definitely not doing the patient a service because it, your data would argue that, you know, nobody owns the mediastinum um, across the three disciplines that were surveyed. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I hope that's, you know, how medicine is moving towards this multidisciplinary approach but i just don't know how it is being practiced at a you know at a community you know a community based hospital or, or not versus you know the, the you know the the bigger academic institutions i don't know but um well so we've been we've been talking for a while and and, and you know, I want to be respectful of everybody's time, and of course, the time sure. we're recording this, it's it's late now for Galit. <laughs> so I want to I want to make sure there's not anything that we've that we've you know missed. Obviously, the the paper is excellent, and, and our listeners, uh, I would strongly encourage you to read it because the visuals are there to to help you you know make more sense of what we're, we've been discussing, uh, what we've been discussing. Um, but um, what what kind of you know what haven't we talked about, or what final thoughts do you have? I don't want to leave us hanging with you know something you'd been dying to say, and I've been, you know, cutting you off or anything like that. Uh, I mean, no, I just think that in, in the future iteration of this lymph node map, you know, uh, I think it's been discussed already that, you know, we hope we move towards something that's more, again, because this, this topic was focused on CT classification, but um, we, we move something that's more image-based rather than, you know, obviously it could be supplemented with text-based, but something, there's a medium that will allow for more image-based um, um, descriptors. Um, and not just, uh, and I'm not sure what the correct answer is, but I'm thinking not just CT, but, you know, bronchoscopy and median stenoscopy. And I'm not sure if that's in the form of, a color-coded lymph node CT map that would be um, uh, created by the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer where all physicians would have access to either via web base uh, or on your phone or on your tablet. Um, but at least speaking as a radiologist, that's something that I would be looking forward to. And, and then in particular, addressing these gray zone areas. Um, exactly. I hope, you know, I, I kind of feel sometimes... Like for you know, in certain guidelines, they say, well, they, there's no 100% committal commitment. They say, well, get a follow up in 12. Consider getting a follow up in 12 months. So they right. leave that to, you know, someone's. Uh, it makes it more subjective rather than more ob, um, more objective. Um, so I hope that things are more objective in the future and less subjective, um, which would you know eliminate. Instead of saying consider, just say recommend. And so we're all on the same page and we're all doing the same thing rather than if you happen to see person A, they say, well, I'll, think, I'll follow you up in 12 months. And you see person, part B, person B, they say, well, we're not going to follow you up in 12 months because it said consider. 
So we need something more universal. And I think that's kind of where the next map should be going towards, something that, um, and it would be readily accessible amongst everyone in the world um, um, without having any subscription, you know, needing to have any type of uh, um, uh, subscription, subscription, you know, entrance, uh, any barrier to entrance or any barrier to accessibility to that, art, uh, to that particular medium. Right. Uh, I completely agree, and uh, I really want to congratulate uh, Dr. El Sharif for this, uh, for highlighting this important issue, because I think the first step uh, needed to solve the problem is highlighting and defining it. And uh, this article really did a wonderful job. And now we should just uh, try to improve education and. Uh, uh, solutions for ambiguity and uh, turning text into visual maps. Absolutely. Well, guys, yeah, I don't perfect. want anyone to come home and, and feel a little upset or depressed with, with, with the findings. As I said before, you know, there's, there, if you read the paper, I, I highlight there are particular reasons why I think certain things were answered a particular way, um, which um, I think, again, as I said before, at the end of the day, I think things are do, being done correctly. It's just, uh, um, I think really the focus of this, as I said before, is to focus on the next lymph node map and, and focus on the next way to disseminate that lymph node map so that, and the way to disseminate it um, so that we don't have the same type of um, manuscript again. You know, hopefully the next manuscript that we publish or someone publishes would, um, after yeah. this new lymph node map, will show um, no ambiguity, 100%, and um, no questions asked type of thing. Um, but I, I think this, this pertains to any, with all the current guidelines out there, they're, they're, I'm pretty sure if you were to, you may or may not find some holes, and hopefully the next one has, you know, no holes. Perfect. Well, guys, thanks so much. This was, this was what we were hoping for. It was Thank perfect. You. I really appreciate it. Nice work. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.